Hey there, Anna Guest Jelly here. Welcome to Love Curvy Yoga, the podcast where we talk about and practice all things body affirming and yoga. Now let's get into it. Thank you for being here, everybody. So you may remember earlier this season that I put a call out for people to be interviewed on the podcast to talk about their experience with yoga and body acceptance. And I had the first one of those for our last episode. I really loved it and have enjoyed hearing your feedback about being inspired by Reva and her story. Me too. (laughs) Um, And the other part of that request that I put out was for anybody who had a question that they wanted me to answer on the podcast that they could send that in as well. So that's what I've got for you today, a real practical application of yoga question. How do we live this in our life? So I'm just going to get straight to the question so we can get into it. Here it is. I am a young person and it has been powerful for me to see the way Anna has been able to create a space for herself to be able to do work that is not only something that is life-giving for her, but has been commercially successful. I've really struggled to find my niche in the world of work, and I think my path is pushing me towards creating my own thing. But I keep asking myself if this is right. How did you come into yourself? Was it one moment of clarity or lots of little ones? How did you know this was your calling? Were you looking for signs? See what I mean? If this question is not how do you live your yoga? (laughs) I don't really know what is. So if you've ever heard me talk about my career, I always describe it as a very circuitous path. And I have to say right out of the gate that I think that that circuitous path is more the norm than not. So when I was growing up, my dad got his first professional job out of college and he worked that job his entire life. But I don't think that people really do that anymore. So I thought that I would just talk a little bit about my own path. And so when I was in college, I started off as an accounting major. I'll just pause and let you think about that for a minute. (laughs) Um, After one semester, really just one class, I switched to being an English and a philosophy major, which is probably way less surprising to you. And so I decided while I was in college that what I really wanted to do was be an English teacher and that my path was to go to graduate school. So I went directly to graduate school. I started in a master's degree program in English, started teaching a college class in English my first semester when I was 22 years old, which is so crazy when I look back and think that they let me and other young people do that. It kind of blows my mind. But you know, it was a really good trial by fire, and I loved it. I really loved the students. I loved thinking about what to teach. You know, there were parts that were terrifying and other parts that were tedious or annoying, but I think that that's true of every job. Um, But So I continued with the teaching, but I never really loved the research side of things, and so I wasn't really sure what to do as graduation was coming up and I got accepted into the continuation into the PhD program. So I accepted because I was just kind of like, 
Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I really want to keep doing this, but I don't know what else to do. Uh, you know, always the best reason to go to school. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, and, but after a semester, I left. Um, along that same time, I had been doing a lot of community organizing work, especially around various women's rights issues. And I thought, you know, this is the work that I want to be doing. This is what feels meaningful to me. So I went back to graduate school again. Nick was still in school. So we met in the master's degree program in English and we both went into that PhD program. He continued <laughs> after I did um, in that one semester. So he was still in school. I felt like, oh, I'll just go back to school. Also again, like I didn't know any other way to go about it. So that's what I did. I got a second master's degree in nonprofit work and I started working at a domestic violence center doing education with middle school and high school students about intimate partner violence and healthy relationships. And I loved everything about that, thought it was really important, um, decided to go do that work later at a university and also enjoyed that, but found that the bureaucracy of the university was really not my forte. <laughs> I do not do well with that kind of structure um, and authority. So. I've had jobs that I loved that were a great fit for me, jobs that I thought I loved but ended up hating, jobs that I tolerated, and everything in between. And before college, I did a lot of different things. So even before high school, I was a babysitter. And then once I got older, I got to be called a nanny. <laughs> Same thing. Um, I worked retail at a pet store. I worked retail at an art and education store. I worked for a call center. I did only last for two shifts on that. So that was at my college, and we called alumni to ask for money. So here's what I would be like. Hi, do you want to give money? And the person would say, no. And I'd be like, okay. <laughs> uh, surprisingly, I did not get fired. I just hated it so much I didn't continue because I've never had a hard sell in me <laughs> my whole life. I still can't do it to this day. So that was out. Um, I was also a writing tutor. I taught English at the high school level at a different time, a union representative, and a yoga teacher. So <laughs> I've done a lot of different things. And I think the most important thing about all of those different jobs, no matter what I thought about them, whether I loved them or hated them, is that they all taught me something and gave me a thread of where to go next. And you know, I think the jobs that really were not a good fit for me taught me just as much, if not more, as the ones that I did think were a great fit because I was able to better hone, you know, what environment do I work best in? What kind of work am I best able to contribute? And I think you just can't know that until you're doing it. Though you may have a seeking suspicion or you may have some things confirmed from other you know paid or volunteer work that you've done in the past until you're in it it's really hard to know so every one of those jobs gave me a little bit more insight into who I am and I have to say that I truly 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 never had any idea whatsoever that I would end up doing what I'm doing now. And in fact, I think if you would have told me, you know, 10 years ago, much less more, that this is what I would be doing, I would laugh in your face. Like every single part of it would have seemed impossible to me 
um, every way. That I would be a yoga teacher, impossible. <laughs> that I would be writing online, impossible. You know, that I would be, you know, helping other yoga teachers in their training, and like every single part of it, I just would not have been able to conceive of. And even when I did start Curvy Yoga, I had no intention whatsoever of growing it into anything more than a delightful side project. You know, sometimes I wish that I would have had a bigger vision for what it would become. I feel like that might be a more interesting story, but there's the truth. I did not have that. <laughs> um, I started Curvy Yoga because I couldn't not start it. I had been looking for something like it where somebody was talking about their own experience with yoga, with body acceptance, with doing yoga in a bigger body for almost a decade when I started Curve Yoga. And I just kept like looking and looking and wanting someone else to do it and I never found it. And so finally I just thought, okay, so I'm gonna become a yoga teacher, maybe if they'll let me and they'll let me graduate. <laughs> and once I did that, I thought, okay, I'm just gonna start writing a blog. And there has to be, you know, at least like two people who will be interested in checking this out. And as you may have already guessed, <laughs> more than two people were interested, but I had no idea whatsoever that that would happen when I was right in the thick of it. So I was teaching yoga for three years before I even considered going part-time with Curvy Yoga. And that's not because I was waiting for a time where the time would be right. I mean, the thought did not enter my mind <laughs> that I would do anything more with it than just have it be a fun hobby. And the reason that I started thinking about it is that it was growing in ways that I hadn't anticipated. And I felt like, well, maybe I should be doing more with that. That might be interesting, but that might also be really scary. I don't know. So I did everything with that very slowly and intentionally. It took a full year to bring a plan to fruition for me to start working part-time instead of full-time so that I could give a little bit more of my time to Curvy Yoga. During that time of the transition to the part-time work, I took every opportunity to learn how do you have a business because I had no idea. You know, learning how to run a nonprofit is not the same as learning how to run a business. So I read a ton of books, I took classes, I hired a team to create a website for me and help me think about how to move forward. I did a lot and it's important to tell the truth about money here and how all of that happened. So because I was still working full time, and Nick was in on this conversation and the consideration of doing more curvy yoga, we decided that I would use a fairly significant chunk of um, my income from my full time job to fund all of this stuff. So. I, you know, this did not just happen out of the thin blue sky, if that's even a phrase, um, that I just snapped my fingers and it was here. I put a lot of resources into learning how to make it work. And even then, I was still learning everything totally by the seat of my pants and taking, uh, making rather a lot of mistakes <laughs> along the way. So, you know, all that's going on. First thing I did was step down my hours a little bit at my full-time job. Then I transitioned to a part-time job teaching English like I had done in the past. And, you know, here's another important money truth-telling moment. The only reason that I could go part-time was because Nick had a full-time job that provided health insurance for both of us. Now there are more health insurance options available, so maybe we would have been able to do it, or maybe I would have been able to do it on my own if I wasn't in a relationship with Nick. But at the time, it just would not 
have been possible. I mean, we might have been able to get by on just his salary, but it would have been extremely tense and uncomfortable. So I really needed to work part-time and be able to do that. Um, And I was planning to keep that part-time job indefinitely. Um, I believe I had the hope that I would be able to only do it for a year, but I really had, again, no clue (laughs) what would work out. And I was fully prepared at any moment that I needed to, to go back to working full-time. But then some unexpected changes happened in my family. So my dad had cancer, he had been quite ill, and somewhat unexpectedly, he passed away after I had only been working that part-time job for four days. (laughs) So I had been working there for just a few days, and when all of that happened, I just realized, you know, I cannot leave my family in this time of crisis to go back to a job that I've only had for four days. I'm just gonna have to figure something out when I go back home. So by the time I did get back after a few weeks, it was to a completely different landscape. You know, all I had for work was a couple classes that I was teaching, a couple yoga classes at the community center. So clearly that was not gonna be enough (laughs) to support me um, and Nick in terms of the bills that we needed to pay. But when we looked at the budget, we thought, okay, we can really scale back to, you know, not spending anything but the essentials and we'll have you know, a few months to figure things out. I wasn't really emotionally in a place where I was ready to just jump back into finding a full-time job since we had that little bit of leeway financially. So during that time, I started to develop some things for Curvy Yoga, and they ended up working out well enough that they you know, mostly replaced what I would have earned at that part-time job. And so things continued to grow from there. But, you know, it's been far from a financial success most of the time. So I have been able to generate income, but figuring out where to invest it in the business has always been very complicated for me. And I have overdone that, sometimes majorly, (laughs) every year except last year when I started to get a little bit smarter about things. Uh, Mostly I have earned enough to keep going and to keep growing and for sure to contribute some to our bills, but not enough to sock away like some major nest egg (laughs) or something like that. Um, We would definitely be in a better place financially right now if I would have had just a full-time job this whole time. Um, And again, I wouldn't have had the luxury to figure out any of that without Nick and I am just now this year finishing paying off some credit card debt that I accumulated for the business over the years. Um, And I've never had a year where I had a negative income, but this is the first year that I will be completely in the black, knock on wood, (laughs) uh, meaning that there's no lingering debt for the business. And that's five years after going full time and eight years after becoming a yoga teacher. So I think anyone will tell you any small business and, you know, teaching yoga or becoming a writer or whatever you're doing is a small business. It often does take about five years to kind of get into a good place financially. So if you're wanting to create something in the world, I think some of the very best advice on this, which has 100% been true to my own experience, comes from Elizabeth Gilbert and her book, Big Magic, which came out last year. I think that every person should read this book. Nick and I even read it together after hearing her speak in Nashville last year, which is something that we rarely do, and we both got 
so much out of it. Like we still will be like, remember what Liz said in this book? So uh, that's a big plug for that. I will put a link to it in the show notes. So what she says is that you should absolutely make what you want in the world and that there's no need to wait. Like you should start doing it right now. If you know what you're doing, you want to do, and you're not doing it, like go do it. The point she makes, which I think is really important, is that while you should definitely make your creative work a high priority, you should not force your creativity to support you. And what she says is that you should support your creative work by having a job that pays the bills. So then at some point, if the creative work does support you, that's amazing, but you don't stress yourself and your creativity out by forcing it to pay your bills which is never a good recipe for success anyway, because then you're in this place of real desperation. So I'll link to a great little piece that Liz wrote about this, as well as to her book. You know, I think it's easy to look at someone else and to think or see that they have a calling. I know that I do that all the time. I see people and I think, oh, it just seems like they really know what they're doing, that it's very organic. I feel like I have no clue what I'm doing. (laughs) I have no five-year plan, you know. Uh, But then when you find out what's going on behind the scenes, it's often that they don't really know that either. And while I suppose some people have a clear calling from birth or some other young age, I think that most people grow into a calling. And it's important to notice that I said a calling because I don't know that we just have one. I really suspect that that is a myth. So Tara Moore, who wrote this great book called Playing Big that I'll also link to, says that she thinks people have many different callings throughout life and that, you know, we respond to different ones depending on what's going on in our life and all kinds of different circumstances. And I really love that she says that. It takes the pressure off feeling like, I have to find my one calling that will fulfill me for the rest of life instead of being like, hey, what is calling me right now? I'm just going to follow it and see what happens. Because, yes, I can see that curvy yoga can seem like it was a calling for me, and I think it is a calling for me, but I don't know that it's the calling for me for the rest of my life. And that's not like a little scary note that I'm dropping (laughs) to like give you some foreshadowing. Um, I really, at this point in my life, hope that it is. I love it so much. But my only experience of my career is that it is shifting all the time. And so I just can't say for sure if this is what I'm going to be doing or if it's in this particular iteration. You know, I think most people who have their own businesses that, you know, continue over a long time, they naturally, you know, change gears, add this, get rid of that, whatever is following their interests and the community's interests and all of those kinds of things. So here's what I believe is the truth of how Curvy Yoga has grown. Like I said, I started it because I couldn't not do it. I loved it and really, really wanted to share and connect with other people. And as those conversations started, people were slowly starting to ask me for things. So could I teach a yoga class? Could I write a guest blog post? Could I write an ebook? And pretty much every step of the way, especially at the beginning, I resisted and balked. And I was just like, who are these people talking to? How could they possibly want this for me? And this is a little side note to plug Tanya Geisler's work on the imposter complex. So this has been totally life-changing for me. I don't know if you ever feel this way, but 
pretty much like nine times a day, I feel like I am a total fraud. People, it's only a matter of time until people find out about it. And then from Tanya, I found out that that's not just me. (laughs) That's a phenomenon and it's called the imposter complex. And I actually also had Tanya on the podcast in season one. So you can check out her episode and I'll give you the link to that as well as to her great work on the imposter complex. It's really important, especially if you're thinking about doing something on your own, that voice just rears its head constantly. So check out her work for sure. Okay, so kind of going back to where I was, people were asking, I was resisting, but because I thought it was important and needed, I kept going, never ever expecting it to support me or actually do anything besides be interesting to me. And, you know, that may be a complete, you know, failure of imagination or lack of or faith in myself, you know, probably is all of those things, but that just is what is true for me. So because it wasn't supporting me, because I didn't expect it to support me, I didn't have any attachment to it. And I mean that in a good way. So I wasn't making, you know, my whole life's happiness or my financial status um, contingent on it working out. I was just doing it and seeing where it would go. And like I said, that's still how I feel today. I love it. I hope it will continue to grow. I certainly have more of a plan and a vision for it than I did five years ago when I first started, when I went full-time with it. But even to this day, I, you know, I don't know what's going to be happening in five years. I'm more of a one-ish year plan out kind of person. So this is the advice that I always give to yoga teachers. And it's true whether what you're wanting to do is teach yoga or write something or paint something or dance or, you know, whatever it is that you're wanting to do. The advice I give to teachers is start teaching. So teach a class or two and see what you like, see what takes off. You know, I, if I would have tried to go full-time with Curvy Yoga right out of the gate, I literally don't know what I would have done. You know, I had, didn't know who I was as a teacher. I didn't know what students would have been interested, what times were good, what locations were good. I think it's very important to Give yourself the space to figure those things out, to figure out if you even like the thing that you think you're doing and would want would want to continue to do it more and give it more time and energy and resources. And then you can kind of make that decision as you go along. And that way you can stay responsive to new opportunities and feel bolstered when they do well rather than devastated when you're in that growing phase and everything takes longer than you want. Which, by the way, if you're like me, anything longer than a day is longer than you want. And five years full-time with Curvy Yoga, I'm still in the growing phase, and I don't know if it ever ends. <laughs> I think that might also be one of those myths that you know you think it's going to, but it never does because there's just always something new that you're learning or doing. So here's the summary. 100% do what you love. Do it with abandon. Fill your cup. If you're not sure if you love it, try it anyway. Figure it out. Carve out the time for what is important to you and what feeds your soul. One funny thing to know about me is that when I was in high school, you know, they ask you, what do you want to do with your life? Where do you want to go to college? What do you want your major to be? And I was always kind of like, oh, I don't know. That's how I landed in that accounting thing at first. (laughs) So my parents took me to, I think, a local university to do this really in-depth career and interest profile, kind of like a personality type 
test, but like way more intense than that. And I had to take it home with me and fill it out and then send it in. And then I had a meeting with the guy who created it, I guess, or (laughs) supported it in some way. And it was this big circle and, you know, there were like X's through the circle and on each point of the X, there were different areas that you might be interested in. And I can't remember what any of those were, (laughs) but the important point is that I was in the dead center of that circle. I wasn't even 1% in any one direction. (laughs) And the guy was kind of like, uh, (laughs) this is unusual. But what he said, which has really stuck with me is that it would be very important for me to know that I would have to find fulfillment in my life in lots of different ways. So he said, you might not find all of your fulfillment in work. You'll have to look for it in different capacities. So that might be sometimes work is more fulfilling. Sometimes the rest of life is more fulfilling, vice versa. And I think that because of that, I have always really held that to be true. I think it's so, so important that we keep work what it is, meaning that It's something that can support us and it's wonderful when it is fulfilling and I hope for everyone listening that you do find fulfilling work. But it's also important if you're not currently doing work that you find super fulfilling to still keep your eye on what is fulfilling in your life or what could be fulfilling in your life. Because it's easy and I've totally been there to be bogged down and feel like I hate my work and suddenly that translates into I hate my life. And there's so much of life that is not just work and if there's not then start to carve out pockets where you can find that and then really find your way into whatever is next for you and that might be fulfilling or it might not be again it's going to continue to teach you like I said for me with all the different things that I am doing and because you have your rent paid from your work and food on the table you have the luxury of continuing to make just for the beauty of making, just to see what it's like, just to fulfill you in one part of your life. And if it grows into something else, then that will just be the icing on the cake. So I hope that that answer was helpful for the person who asked it. And I wanted to let you all know that I made a little download for you and I'm going to link to that in the show notes. So just go to curvyyoga.com slash podcast. Look for season two, Thanks episode six. To love As I was yoga. thinking about my response for this question, this I realized I wanted to tell you all about like all my favorite yoga. books on life and business, if you love the show, as well as a few other podcast recommendations. So that's all going to be there. You can go grab it as a little PDF download. So thank you for being here, and I will catch you next time. Have a great day. And curve on. Curve on.